This is Law Bites, a podcast with Michael Geist. Since 2014, Vladimir Putin has been conducting information warfare there and throughout the world. As I said yesterday, we will be asking the CRTC to review Russia Today's presence on Canadian airwaves. But it's important, Mr. Speaker, what separates us from countries like Russia is that this decision is in the hand of independent regulators, not in the hands of politicians. The Russian invasion of Ukraine has sparked international condemnation and a race to levy sanctions and undo long-standing connections to the country. Responses have included demands that Russia Today, a television network backed by the Russian government, be removed from cable and satellite systems. Companies such as Bell, Rogers, Telus, and Shaw have dropped the service, but the desire for a longer-term regulatory solution has brought the issue to the CRTC. Working with a strict two-week deadline, last week the CRTC ruled that RT and RT France, the French-language version of Russia Today, can no longer be distributed by Canadian television service providers. Monica Song is a partner with the law firm Dentons and one of Canada's leading telecom and broadcast lawyers. She served as a member of the government's Broadcasting and Telecommunications Legislative Review Panel and has taught as a part-time professor at the University of Ottawa for many years. She joined me hours after Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky spoke at the House of Commons and a day prior to the CRTC ruling to unpack the case before the commission and assess the broader implications around due process and content regulation. Monica, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Uh, thank you for having me, Michael. Happy to, happy to be here. Okay, I'm really glad that you, you've taken the time to join. It's obviously a difficult time in the world. We're recording this just hours after Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky addressed the House of Commons. And as we record this prior to an expected decision from the CRTC regarding the distribution of RT Russia today, which is expected imminently. Uh, So with that context in mind, things certainly could change by the time this episode drops. I wanted to talk about the RT issue, the role of the CRTC, and and some of the broader implications. But why don't we start with a bit of background? Can you bring listeners up to date on the process that's currently before the CRTC with respect to RT distribution? I I wanted to start off uh, in this background, setting of the background, to discuss First of all, the the type of service that Russia Today is, exactly what status uh, is in play before the CRTC in Broadcasting Notice of Consultation 2022-58. So Russia Today is what is known as a non-Canadian programming service. It doesn't hold a license, but the way that it is distributed in Canada, at least by traditional broadcasting, is to be uh, distributed by uh, broadcasting distribution undertakings, i.e. cable companies or satellite distribution companies. And in order for a non-Canadian service to uh, be distributed by uh, cable uh, distribution companies or satellite distribution companies, um, the service needs to accede to a list that is um, called the non-Canadian programming services list. 
And so the status that is uh, jeopardy or that is being considered by the, the commission in the proceeding um, that uh, you mentioned, Michael, is Russia Today and Russia RT France, which is the French language version of it, status on non-Canadian programming list. Second thing I, I wanted to, I guess, set by way of context to make uh, the rest of our discussion easier to follow is, is that RT and RT France are uh, a special subclass of non-Canadian programming service, i.e. They, they have been authorized as news services. So non-Canadian news services. And um, the rules or the framework that the commission applies for non-Canadian news services uh, was set in broadcasting public notice uh, 2008-100. So uh, quite, quite dated now, going back to 2008. And it's important to start there because um, in, that, in that 2008 policy, the CRTC uh, basically established that absent clear evidence that a non-Canadian news service uh, will violate Canadian regulations, such as those regarding abuse of comment, uh, the commission uh, is generally predisposed to authorize non-Canadian news services for distribution in Canada um, on the basis that the importance that the commission places on diversity of editorial viewpoints. So th those two, I, I think that both the nature of the service that we're talking about that it's a non-Canadian, not licensed uh, service, um, and that it's it's uh, it was originally authorized back in 2008 under this uh, generally permissive framework for the authorization of non-Canadian news services is necessary context to the discussion that we're going to have. I think the more recent history is pretty well known, uh, starting in, at in the week of February 21st. Vladimir Putin formally recognizes the independence of the Donetsk People's Republic and the Luhansk People's Republic. Uh, within three days or so, the Russian armed forces launch an assault into Ukrainian territory. So that's uh, February 24th. Um, within three days of that, so by February 27th, um, the largest uh, cable and satellite distribution companies in Canada. So those uh, undertakings controlled by BCA Inc., Rogers Communications, TELUS, and Shaw announced that they are pulling um, RT, um, and to the extent that RT France was being distributed by these undertakings uh, from their channel uh, lineups. Within the very next day, uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announces that he has asked the CRTC to trigger a process to review RT's uh, ability to broadcast in Canada, i.e., um, uh, RT status on the non-Canadian programming services list. And on March 2nd, um, an order in council is issued by uh, cabinet to the CRTC under subsection 15 sub 1 of the Broadcasting Act, asking the CRTC to uh, study and report back within uh, two weeks of the date of the order in council um, on, on RT status in Canada. Uh, the record of the CRTC proceeding closed on March 8th, so within, I believe, five days or less of the issuance of the notice of consultation on March the 3rd. Um, and by my calculations, as you mentioned, Michael, 
a decision um, from or a report, sorry, a report from the CRTC is to be issued um, uh, within the week. Moving incredibly quickly, of course, is the the attack and war in, um, in Ukraine would suggest we've seen you know, an enormous public response. We saw a response from the the companies as well. Uh, I guess it, it does beg the question, the companies in that timeline took the step to remove distribution of those services from their from their distribution services. To what extent is this then even needed? Is this sort of formalizing that process in some ways? Is this sort of creating a, sort of a, a legal position that would preclude them from reinserting it? You know, in a sense, what is the need for the, this particular hearing before the CRTC, given that the companies themselves took the proactive step, in effect, to remove the services themselves? That That is a very um, good uh, question, Michael. Um, we don't have uh, visibility, obviously, into the arrangements between um, the large cable and satellite distribution companies, the proponent of RT and RT France in Canada, the ethnic channels uh, group. It may relate to that relationship and the terms and conditions upon which, uh, you know, Bell, Shaw, Rogers tell us um, ceased distribution of RT and RT France in Canada, it's hard uh, to know. But I, I do think that there is an interesting issue uh, uh, to, be, to be perhaps fleshed out uh, with respect to, with respect to, to the why, uh, that question that, that, that you've asked. At its inception, the issue is, is uh, one of state-to-state uh, -state relations, so between Canada and Russia, Russia and uh, the rest of the world, and yet um, the government of Canada has seemed very eager to thrust this into the realm of press freedom and um, um, broadcast regulation. You did a great job of, of highlighting where this fits within the broadcasting framework and when the CRTC established some of these rules. Have they denied over the years? I mean, they, you mentioned they take a fairly liberal approach, especially with respect to news services. Has the CRTC denied distribution in the past or have they revoked distribution in the past or is this something that's new? Certainly the CRTC has denied uh, authorization to non-Canadian programming services uh, to be added to this uh, so-called non-Canadian programming services list. But interestingly enough, Michael, the vast majority of these cases where um, authority was denied by the CRTC uh, from the outset, it had less to do with, uh, with uh, you know, abusive comment or false or misleading news and, and actually more to do with whether or not the um, non-Canadian service was uh, in total or partial competition with Canadian specialty and pay services uh, that were duly licensed by the commission. Um, and so there, there's like a stable of, uh, not huge, but, but uh, a number of US channels uh, that had previously not been permitted to be distributed in Canada, including uh, FX and, uh, ESPN, HBO, um, certainly household names. Um, and interestingly enough, after, after these denials, what uh, sometimes happened, not in all cases, but sometimes happened, is that uh, that forced the, the U.S. Um, 
uh, programming service to form a, a partnership um, to, with a Canadian entity and thereby launch a licensed version of, of the American services in Canada. So, so certainly there have been denials uh, in the past. In terms of revo revocations, um, again, um, no revocations uh, on the basis that, that I can recall on the basis uh, of something like abusive comment or um, a false or misleading news breaches. But I can think of uh, one instance where, where a non-Canadian programming service um, was initially uh, authorized uh, under one genre, right? And then over time, it transformed itself and uh, became competitive with an with a authorized uh, or licensed Canadian service. And um, therefore the status on the non-Canadian programming list was, was uh, reviewed, but it's, it's very rare. And as I say, um, uh, the issues at stake were more about um, total or partial competitiveness with existing Canadian services and not anything like uh, the issues that we're seeing here. The, the one precedent that is uh, somewhat parallel, although it did not in, involve either a, a uh, refusal to authorize distribution or revocation of authority to, to distribute is the Al Jazeera case, which uh, you uh, certainly, you probably certainly recall, uh, Michael. Um, so Al Jazeera is, is also a new service um, and um, it, it has always been authorized, but under very unique conditions imposed initially on BDUs, broadcasting distribution undertakings that um, wanted to distribute Al Jazeera. Uh, and there was a lot of comment and debate around uh, potential abuse of comment in the authorization of Al Jazeera. Interesting. So we do have some history, although this is, for the most part, uh, uncharted territory, especially for, for this particular kind of concern that, that's arisen. You know, given those Given that this is new and some of those kinds of concerns, it is striking just how quickly all of this is moving and in some ways, of course, dictated by, by world events. But that has sparked, I think, some amount of concern about the independence of the CRTC. The, the commission typically takes months for hearings, but in this case, the desired outcome from the government was made pretty clear. Commission put its position, uh, you know, within almost hours or at least days of, of that being uh, being put forward. And this is on a rocket docket such that uh, within a couple of weeks, we may get a decision. You know, is do you, do you think there is any reason for concern with respect to how quickly things are moving? You know, is in a sense, is due process possible in this kind of very fast time frame? Obviously, the, the tight time frame for a report um, back um, to the governing council uh, in this proceeding is, um, is uh, noteworthy. It is, uh, as, as you all have already pointed out, Michael, a little bit difficult to see the urgency given that um, RT has already been dropped uh, by the largest uh, broadcasting distribution undertakings uh, that carry RT. And so you, you really have to wonder why the extremely tight uh, time frame, given the practical reality on the ground. I, I also think that it's, it's interesting to look at, um, you know, the, what I understand are, are sort of parallel proceedings in other jurisdictions. So 
Ofcom, which is the um, British equivalent of the CRTC, is also uh, looking at um, RT uh, and uh, the extent to which the content may constitute abusive or false news. But that process, as I understand it, is proceeding on the normal timeframes of Ofcom. So there have been more than two dozen complaints um, apparently filed with Ofcom regarding specific instances of improper or inappropriate content that is contrary to Ofcom's um, regulations and rules. Uh, Ofcom is seized of them. Ofcom is looking at them. In, in parallel to that, in parallel to that, uh, the British government, uh, as a state actor, has taken certain actions vis-a-vis -vis another state, i.e. Russia, uh, via uh, not the broadcasting um, regulatory regime, but um, um, sanctions legislation and, and tools. Um, so it's, it's interesting to, on, on the urgency question, to not only uh, address it kind of straight on, but to also look at it from the practical perspective and and a perspective of, okay, well, what are, what are other countries, um, um, similarly situated countries um, um, doing about RTN on what kind of um, uh, timeframe? Secondly, when, when, you, when you have such a compressed timeframe, a natural question arises as to the quality of the evidence that the regulator is, has to work with. I note that the quality of the evidence has to be assessed in light of the issues that are set out in the consultation document. And the, the commission has clearly uh, framed the consultation and the basis of any eventual report or decision that it issues on whether or not RT, um, RT broadcasts contain uh, abusive comment. Uh, one, one has to, to, to ask, you know, what evidence of abusive content is the commission, uh, does the commission have available to it based on the record of the comments that it received? Is, is the commission going to rely on evidence outside of the record? Um, I haven't, uh, I can't uh, pretend to have read every single submission, um, but uh, although there were hundreds, um, so over 400 and I believe almost 450 submissions or interventions filed. Um, many were from individuals and did not have the, the sort of specific uh, examples or, uh, or descriptions of programming alleged to be abusive uh, that would speak to the issues as framed by the commission in its uh, notice consultation. Um, so there, I think there's definitely, um, and, and the time frame certainly does not help, um, some questions about, uh, about um, arbitrariness or potentially, depending on, on what the report looks like, of course, from the CRTC, uh, the quality of the, the evidence. Thirdly, when, when you're dealing with um, a, a proceeding to consider, I guess, banning or removing um, authority to distribute a programming service, you, you have to ask yourself, okay, is, is, the, is the remedy proportional? We will have to see how, how the uh, CRTC uh, deals with that. I, I, did, I did mention, just in, in the context of what Ofcom is doing in, in the, United, the United Kingdom, that um, 
in parallel with the Ofcom proceedings that, that are proceeding on a much slower uh, normal pace um, that the UK government, along with the EU, had, had taken um, sanctions-based measures against, um, against uh, RT and the uh, satellites uh, undertaking that it relies on to distribute its services. It's not a, a secret, as, as everybody knows, that the impetus for this proceeding comes from Governing Council, comes from um, the government of Canada. And you have to, you have to wonder, an actual question arises as to what, whether, whether um, the government is, is sort of forcing a censorship mantle upon the CRTC. It, it appears to be forcing the commission to assume jurisdiction over questions of speech, the sphere of broadcasting, which the CRTC has, has willingly accepted exceedingly rarely in its history. Um, it, it's not a mantle that the CRTC wears gladly. If it can avoid it, it does. And, and yet, uh, you know, in, 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 in the context of uh, a major reform to the Broadcasting Act in Bill C-11, uh, you see the government being quite, seemingly quite eager to turn what could be, in my view, a state-to-state -state issue that perhaps could be addressed using other statutory tools and measures into, into a, a arguably a free press and broadcast censorship issue. Okay, wow, that, you know, that last point really begs a whole series of questions. I, I want to touch on a few of them because I think you really raised some interesting points, both with respect to Bill C-11, the legislation before the House right now, but, but even the, the implications of moving the CRTC more towards speech regulation, which this does. You know, th this is obviously a specific case involving RT, but, you know, do you have a sense that there's the prospect that this, this becomes a precedent that then either expands into other areas or people start pushing the CRTC to become more active on some other issues. There have been calls in the past for the removal of the China Global Television Network from the Chinese government, and some have even now cited Fox News uh, in the same kind of context for those who are opponent, who, who are critical of that network. Uh, you know, could this spiral into a space where the CRTC suddenly now finds itself being asked to make judgment calls on a whole range of these kinds of services? I think that that will have to await um, the reasoning of the CRTC. I come from this from a um, from a legal, broadcast regulatory and administrative law perspective. Um, you know, that's 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 what I'm trained in, um, and and so uh, you know that that's why I focus so much on what are the terms of of the notice, the public notice of consultation. Um, what is the quality of the evidence? It, it really, I think I'm going to sidestep your question because <laughs> it really would be, would be um, uh, speculative. Um, could it? Maybe. Should it? Probably not. Is there a way to avoid it? I think it all depends on how the CRTC uh, presents its reasoning in, in this report. Okay, that's fair. But, you know, while we're entertaining possible speculation, <laughs> um, you've, given, you, you've already cited at least one possibility of how this could have been addressed at a state to state level. You have other thoughts of how the government might have handled this differently and even how the CRTC could try to handle this in a way that would foreclose to a certain extent some of the, the possibilities of this spiraling into other areas? Yeah. 
you know, what leaves me scratching my head is what your initial question, you know, what pushed the government uh, to refer this question via Section 15 of the Broadcasting Act to the CRTC? Um, did it have any other tools available to it? Um, so th this kind of strays outside outside my, my area of expertise, um, but um, uh, it is no secret uh, that um, Canada, along with its, uh, its allies, have um, um, issued a number of sanctions against um, individuals um, with uh, associations with uh, the Russian Federation, as well as specific entities and of course corporate, corporate as well as a part of the uh, structure of government in Russia under the Special Economic Measures Act, um, and in particular Russia regulations. My, my understanding is that the regulations that establish the lists of sanctioned entities, so entities against which persons and entities against which sanctions have been imposed, can be uh, amended very quickly. So in as little as 24 to 36 hours or, or less. Since the events of February the 21st, in fact, the Russia regulations have been uh, amended by governing council at least three or four times. But these are not regulations that are hard to amend. The state of Russia, so the federation um, it itself, is not named um, as, as, as an entity or as a state. As the state itself is not, but there are hundreds of um, individuals and, and entities listed there. So, you know, I guess one question that arises, and I'm not an expert in, in sanctions um, law, but uh, certainly I, I have friends who are, why did the government not consider adding uh, the state-owned news agency, RIA Novosti, or other agencies or departments of the Russian state that are involved in the funding or operation of Russia Today and Russia Today France um, to the schedules of the um, Special Economic Measures Act Russia regulations? Uh, um, I, I don't know what the answer to that is, but it seems to me that that could have been one possibility. And, and to and to the extent that that uh, happened, and maybe that's not the only thing that needs to be amended in those regulations in order to uh, uh, provide um, the necessary uh, just legal justification or cover to uh, cable uh, companies or, or distribution partners in Canada. But um, um, were that to happen, my, my understanding is that um, that, that would preclude um, you know, receipt of certain payments, um, uh, ongoing payments, even though contracts were entered into prior to the time um, of the imposition of the sanction. So notionally, um, I guess I guess the question arises, why wasn't that means considered? In other jurisdictions, uh, for example, the United States, there is legislation requiring foreign agents to register with the government of Canada. So, um, uh, in the U.S., there's a law uh, dating back to the 1930s um, called the Foreign Agents Registration Act that focused on foreign propaganda machines. In modern times, uh, its purposes have, have, have evolved somewhat, but interestingly enough, originally um, that legislation was uh, designed to sort of ferret out and expose um, foreign agents that might be operating in, in your jurisdiction or your country. 
Um, that's obviously not something that could have been imagined um, or an, an, an implemented uh, in the space of uh, the, the um, uh, events in Ukraine the last couple of weeks. But arguably, the events in Ukraine have not been only two weeks in the making. There, there, there was excellent reporting in Canada uh, in the Globe and Mail about um, RT and RT France, um, you know, four or five more or more years ago with the original um, Russian um, annexation of Crimea. Um, and uh, questions were asked back then and articles that appeared in the Globe as to, okay, why, why, is, this, um, why is this entity um, uh, which uh, some have characterized as being a propaganda uh, machine uh, still allowed to, to um, uh, broadcast in Canada. On the CRTC side, the CRTC does have the power to impose um, uh, certain conditions on the approval of uh, non-Canadian programming services. We saw that in the Al Jazeera case, uh, as I, I have already alluded to. Uh, there were extensive uh, public consultations uh, conducted with respect to authorizing Al Jazeera to be carried in Canada. So the CRTC could have adopted rules um, that, um, that require uh, BDUs uh, that carry state-funded owned or controlled media to disclose their foreign ownership or funding. One can imagine rules that require BDUs that carry state-funded owned and controlled media to be transparent via viewer advisories as to sponsors of content. This could conceivably encompass payments made, made by distribution undertakings to carry the programming. I, I note that you know, in the CRTC's new annual digital media uh, survey, um, uh, that this is the very kind of information that the CRTC intends to, to collect uh, with respect to digital media undertakings that are also not licensed uh, necessarily in Canada. One can imagine that there, there could have been a number of things that both the government and the CRTC could have considered doing, uh, admittedly, perhaps not in a two-week time frame, but as I say, I think the RT issue has been around for a lot longer than the past two weeks. I think that's a really interesting perspective in, in terms of how this has been bubbling under the surface and perhaps not even under the surface for, for quite some time. You know, this discussion wouldn't be complete without some discussion of, of C11, and, and you kind of provided a nice segue there with respect to the CRTC's interest in more data uh, when it comes to digital media services. Now, C11, of course, currently before the House, and it envisions a new class of undertaking, the, the online undertaking. Um, the government has emphasized that those undertakings under the bill would be subject to registration, not licensing, but there certainly does seem to be some pretty obvious parallels, which, of course, begs the question, is it possible that we could see ourselves move into the same kinds of questions, but this time with respect to internet-based services, which of course is a significant additional complication as we're not talking about quite literally a handful of major providers, but rather whether or not there are steps taken to try to limit access of internet-based websites or internet-based services uh, sort of along the same kind of lines that we see developing here. I, I'm wary of arguing too much uh, by analogy or, or making this too analogous. I think there are some, there are some key distinguishing uh, features uh, uh, about uh, RT. Um, number one, it's a new service. And number two, it's uh, uh, state-owned and controlled. Um, 
and 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 so it's not it's not clear to me that that um, the the approaches that um, um, we should take vis-a-vis state-owned and controlled news services are necessarily um, transposable holus bolus um, uh, with the same with the same heavy-handed or or light touch um, uh, to to all uh, online undertakings uh, delivered over the internet, um, which which come in many different shapes, sizes, and flavors. The 2008 um, CRTC policy on authorizing foreign news services was very broad-minded, certainly uh, very um, anchored in and in the belief that uh, the free exchange of ideas was um, key to a healthy democracy and to you know uh, discourse in in our in our democracy. Um, um, and so so you know there's a fundamental policy question that. Uh, arises, I think, as a result of, of RP and um, and its its history in Canada as to whether or not we should stick holus bolus to the default uh, position of the Commission uh, regarding foreign news services that are controlled by state actors um, in the name of Canadians' access to alternative editorial voices. So there's clearly the, the situation. Um, does raise that fundamental um, uh, policy uh, issue. I think that, um, and so I'm, I'm really answering these questions um, more from a CRTC perspective than from a government perspective. As I, as I said before, uh, when, when we're dealing with foreign actors and uh, either situations approaching, you know, armed, armed aggression, uh, war, um, that, that uh, at some point, um, perhaps the, the solution should be a state-to-state -state solution and not one of broadcast policy. Coming back to your question, the, the second solution set, um, I guess, to, to the RT problem, we should really look at, you know, what, what are the conditions of service that are appropriate? I think this will somewhat resonate for you um, in, 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 or for any student of Bill C-11 in that conditions of service as opposed to conditions of license is a concept that is um, that is uh, being introduced in in um, in Bill C eleven for online undertakings, but that you know questions such as will will the foreign service uh, and in particular foreign news services that are controlled by state actors be subject to additional disclosures and transparency requirements regarding state control and funding sources um, via viewer advisories or what have you. This kind of system is is reminiscent of uh, systems that we already have in place for, for example, election advertising, right, where we require a great deal of disclosure and transparency because uh, the messages are inherently partisan and political in nature. Um, you know, query whether that would be appropriate as a as a uh, measure to allow consumers to be more informed about their consumption of of uh, information from foreign news services that are controlled by state actors. Should foreign services, and in particular foreign news services controlled by state actors, commit to um, adherence to Canadian journalistic ethics and standards? You know, uh, a, la, a la Canadian Broadcasting Standards Council, the CBSC, or perhaps even the Facebook uh, Oversight Board. Finally, uh, in terms of administrative discretion, um, 
will will uh, the CRTC delegate administration of journalistic ethics to an arm's length body or adjudicate such cases directly when it comes to uh, foreign news services controlled by state actors? Or will it adopt a complaint-driven system of progressive discipline? And what would that look like for a foreign service? So they're they're not easy questions, but that would be that would be the you know the sort of the bucket of policy and I guess mechanistic questions that that you could start looking at these issues with. It's interesting to think about some of those different options that the CRTC would have. I guess for me, just to to wrap up, I mean, I guess there, I, I recognize that we're dealing with the specific bucket if we're talking about state-owned news, but there's of course state-owned news services and websites that are available online as well that mm-hmm. will uh, raise the same questions, really. I mean, you know, essentially, if if there's a decision made that, you know, this content is is enormously problematic and propaganda or whatever the particular term happens to be, um, surely there is going to be some amount of pressure to say, well, just you've stopped it through the broadcast distribution system. Are you not in a position to stop it in terms of its availability through the internet? And, you know, CRTC might say, well, no, we adopt net neutrality rules and we're not in a position to do that. But, you know, I guess the question for me at the end of the day is, does C11, given that it seeks to bring these services, whether state-owned or otherwise, into the Canadian Broadcasting Act, mm. uh, does it does it kind of move us closer to a world in which we begin to see those things and perhaps entertaining people raising possibilities of website blocking or other kinds of measures you know, under the essentially under the same guise of saying, well, it's we're trying to create an equivalency here. We've tried to remove it from the broadcast distribution system for let's try to remove it from the online undertaking system as well. Yeah, I see certainly some some parallels and, and practically speaking why your question is relevant. Uh, um, certainly RT uh, has has a huge had a huge social media presence. I mean, it, it pivoted just like everybody else did from traditional broadcasting to um, online uh, broadcasting, and um, just just like uh, all the large Canadian BDUs ceased to distribute uh, RT and RT France, um, so have uh, YouTube and and Twitter and Facebook and et cetera, et cetera. Um, um, I, I want to maybe shift your question again. I hope you, I hope you don't mind. Uh, the, it's not so much about blocking or not. I, I don't think the question when it comes to um, this, this um, area really comes down to blocking or not. I, I really do want to stress the point that the RT issue has been kicking around for years, years and years, and nothing was done. So now maybe it, its choices are stark. Maybe maybe it does come down to blocking or not, and query whether that should be done via a CRTC proceeding or whether that should just be done in what I call a state state measure under the special. Um, um, Economic Measures Act, but I I see I don't see it so much as a question of blocking or not. I see it more as 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 raising an, uh, an opportunity for us to think um, uh, about the need for a, a common understanding of how we're going to enforce or create 
and enforce community standards um, on the internet? That may be a controversial question for some, but whether you know a state actor does it, whether, whether the, the government of Canada does it or some other government does it, or the companies themselves that operate these um, services and platforms do it, it's coming. And that is the rubric within which, it, it, in my view, unacceptable content on the internet, it, it should be seen. I guess the questions that we uh, should be asking ourselves, and, and there's really no clear answer and no, and therefore no right answer, uh, but we can see it from everything that's happening around us is, you know, for example, are we going to content ourselves with entrusting um, community standards with respect to online audiovisual content uh, up to online platform providers to devise and enforce, um, you know, in whatever uh, manner um, uh, they choose, perhaps consistently, perhaps inconsistently, perhaps transparently, perhaps non-transparently, uh, but uh, are we going to entrust that role to them? Are we uh, content to allow state-owned and controlled media outlets to broadcast without um, making mandatory disclosures and being transparent about um, um, their, their, the source of their perspective? Are we content to allow the amplification of certain political speech through money or influence um, or power on the internet and leave that up to, to market forces, essentially? Or, you know, are we going to sit by and watch the fascinating social experiment that, you know, Facebook's oversight board uh, represents and see that unfold for a few more years, maybe, before we decide what standards of publication, notice, due process, and enforcement um, in relation to community standards on the internet uh, we want to govern ourselves by? Or do we, should we have the foresight as a society to devise a system to deal with you know, hard cases, cases of imminent or actual harm uh, to human health and safety, war or terrorists or other emergencies or grave threats to electoral fairness and democratic institutions. Um, it may not be a single mechanism. Um, it may depend on the nature of the service and the threat. But if, if we were more proactive about thinking about how, how we want these questions to be decided, it shouldn't come down to whether or not it's a blocking or no blocking um, scenario. You know, I, I want to I want to just leave with you perhaps the thought that you know the CRTC has never. You know, I, I don't rush to the defense of the CRTC every day, um, but the CRTC has never willingly been a broadcast censor. In my experience, it has consistently um, issued that role role. If at all possible, it has, um, you know, created a a system of of uh, broadcast uh, standards um, that is that that is largely run by you know arms length third parties. Uh, it is backstopped by conditions of license on on traditional license undertakings that it has historically uh, regulated, but it has, as a result, very seldom had to step in uh, to censor a, a broadcaster in Canada, the, the one exception being Schwa FM, but even there, like Schwa FM was given like years of reprieves and warnings and, you know, lots of chances um, to, to address the issue. Uh, 
itself before the CRTC actually pulled its license. Perhaps uh, that system is unworkable in an online universe. Michael, you probably thought deeply about these issues yourself, but if I could just shift the discussion into looking at it less as a black and white block or no block into something a little bit um, more proactive uh, to avoid uh, that blocking scenario, I think that would advance the debate. Yeah, thanks. I mean, sir, you've given us a lot to, to think about. I agree with you. Uh, if it comes, if if we end up in a space where it's just block or no block, that's that puts us in a difficult position. And while it's true that the CRTC, you know, has has taken the kind of positions that that you've just described, I think it's also fair to say the CRTC has been ne has never been granted this much power if C11 becomes law over this wide a range of speakers and speech and services when you start moving into the internet and the audiovisual world. So it's, it's, it's new territory for the CRTC as well, which of course I think for some is why there are questions, questions both about how much guidance the government should provide as well as uh, some questions as to whether or not the CRTC is the best placed entity to deal with some of these kinds of questions. Certainly some things are a nice fit, but perhaps not all. Definitely lots to think about. And uh, you know, this, this RT case, while, obviously attracting a lot of immediate attention uh, may well have some of the ripple effects that, that you've just described as we continue to sort through some of the real thorny challenges when it comes to broadcast and, and now the internet. And so Monica, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and helping walk uh, sort through those various issues. Thanks a lot, Michael. That's the Law Bites podcast for this week. If you have comments, suggestions, or other feedback, write to LawBytes at PO.box.com. Follow the podcast on Twitter at LawBytesPod or Michael Geist at MGeist. You can download the latest episodes from my website at MichaelGeist.ca or subscribe via RSS at Apple Podcast, Google, or Spotify. The LawBytes podcast is produced by Gerardo LeBron LeBoy. Music by the LeBoy Brothers, Gerardo and Jose LeBron LeBoy. Credit information for the clips featured in this podcast can be found in the show notes for this episode at michaelgeist.ca. I'm Michael Geist. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.